You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. But remember this, there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But again, it sort of like kind of opens you up for, your, for the next attack, the next temptation. And, and, uh, but here's the thing, if you're living righteously and you've committed yourself in all circumstances to do the right thing, although the devil is the accuser of the brethren, if you're living a godly life in the power of the Spirit, right? He can't attack you, right? Since nearly the beginning of time in the Garden of Eden, sin has been a part of the human narrative. All people are born with both an innate desire to sin and an ability to overcome the sin in their lives. This sin in our lives puts us at odds with God. But there is no condemnation for those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. When Jesus comes into your life and cleanses you of your sin, there is no need for you to feel condemned or ashamed. Jesus wiped away every blemish. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Ephesians chapter 6 as he continues his message, The Christian's Warfare. And so in David's experience, notice there in the 32nd Psalm, in verses 3 and 4, he says, when I kept silent, that is when I didn't confess my sin, when I did everything that I could do to hide my sin from other people, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavily upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. In other words, he dried up spiritually. And that's always the effect that sin has on unconfessing. I'm so glad and thankful that 1 John tells us we confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And then God will take that sin and throw it into the sea of forgetfulness. We're so thankful that we have that provision in Christ, right? But all of these things, it's so important for us to walk in the truth. Now, that brings, so that's the first item that I want to draw your attention to. And, and, and rightfully so. I, you, know, you, put the, you put the belt on and all of the other items that are a part of the armor of God were connected to the belt, interestingly enough. And so Paul got it right. He started there. Now the second piece of armor that uh, Paul draws our attention to, let's go back to the book of Ephesians. I'm still in Genesis there is righteousness. Also there in verse 14, what does he say? He says, uh, having put on 
the breastplate of righteousness. Now, that word righteousness conjures up uh, a picture in my mind. Basically, what Paul is referring to when he uses the word righteousness is simply, plainly, just doing the right thing. In other words, we've made a choice simply, justly, to do the right thing. Now, this is not an easy task that we're called to do. Because modern day philosophy and the mores of our society challenges this idea by claiming it's all according to your particular circumstances, to your particular situation, whether it is right or whether it is wrong. There's no such thing as a universal right or wrong. It's all relative to your particular situation. It's called relativism, right? And so, uh, listen, you did what you had to do to survive, right? It wasn't right or wrong. You just simply did what you had to do. You lied, but you had to lie. You cheated, but you had to cheat. You robbed, but you had to rob. Because it all revolves around your particular situation and your circumstances. Oh, be careful about this. This this is a philosophy that has permeated our culture and our society today. You see, the Bible tells us that there is a right, that there is a wrong, and the standard for life has been established for us in God's Word. We need to be very careful. In the book of Proverbs, in chapter 14 and verse 12, we are told there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Oh boy, be very careful about this. And so we need to determine in our hearts, listen, I'm going to simply do the right thing. But unfortunately, many times, we resolve ourselves to doing the most convenient thing, or the easiest thing, or the best thing under our present circumstances, rather than just determining, I'm going to live a life of righteousness. That mindset, I'm going to do what's right no matter what the cost. Now, there's another reason why we should practice righteousness, because as I mentioned before, Satan is a liar. Also in the book of Revelation in chapter 12 and verse 10, notice I'm using a lot of cross-references from the book of Revelation. Why is that? Because I want you to be here next Sunday, right? Kind of wetting your whistle a little bit here. Because in the book of Revelation, in chapter 12 and verse 10, Satan there is depicted as the accuser of the brethren. And he's really good at it. And uh, you'll even buy into it. You know, you blow it, you let your guard down, and you enter into some little temptation. I don't know if there is such a thing as a little temptation, because the little temptation will lead to a greater temptation, as I've already mentioned. But uh, anyway, and he comes along and he says, look at you, Pastor Mike. The guy who stands before the congregation on Sunday morning. Look what you did. Yelling at your wife. Yelling at your kids. Doing this. Doing that. Whatever. The situation. And I, and I said, you, you know, you're right. I should have known better. I mean, of all people, the pastor of the church. I should have known better. Right? Kind of a thing. And you just, you know. You, but remember this. There's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But again, it sort of like kind of opens you up. For, your, for the next attack, the next temptation. And, and, uh, but here's the thing. If you're living righteously, 
and you've committed yourself in all circumstances to do the right thing, although the devil is the accuser of the brethren, if you're living a godly life in the power of the Spirit, right? He can't attack you, right? Because the way that we live our lives will either fortify us against the attacks of Satan or make it easier for him to defeat us. Isn't that true? And so we need to be determined. We're going to live the right kind of a life, as is recorded for us in God's Word. Well, that brings us to the next article of armor in verse 15. So let's go back to our text. And that would be the gospel of peace. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, this is also extremely important. Peace, that is, because we live in a world that's full of strife. You know, look at all of the, the things that are going on in our present day. You know, the strife that exists in politics. Uh, right now, we're, we're dealing with the coronavirus. And, and by the way, you know, uh, just, and, and hopefully by the end of this message, we'll, you'll be encouraged uh, in, in all of these things that would cause strife or that would bring strife uh, into, into your life. You, you guys are actually bulletproof, if you think about it. There's nothing that God allows in the lives of his kid except what he allows in the lives of his kids. And whatever he allows in the lives of his kids, and that's who you become in Jesus Christ. We've already firmly established that right here in the book of Ephesians in the first two chapters, right? Is for good and for blessing. Is for good and for blessing. It's not always going to be easy. And there might be times of testing, but nevertheless, it's going to be good, right? I, I, and I use this as an example, you know, talking about the coronavirus. We need be, be very careful and, and practice sanitary conditions. Make sure, as they've been suggesting, you don't need to walk around with one of those masks on. Wash your hands. Be very careful where you go. Uh, you know, practice sanitary kinds of, uh, you know, things and all of that stuff. And, and, uh, but, you know, when God brought the plagues on the nation of Israel, those plagues never affected his, his people there in Israel. In the lands of Goshen, right, uh, uh, where, they were, uh, where, th- where they lived. The plagues came upon Egypt, but it didn't touch the Israelis or the Jews. And, and, and God will protect you. And so just, you know, just have faith in that, in that fact. God will allow anything to come into your life except what he wants to and allows to come into your life. But practice sanitary conditions, all right? And uh, make sure that, that, that you do that. And, we, and pray. You know, and pray that this whole thing just passes and it doesn't become a pandemic. And, and uh, you know, I think there was now one case in New York or, 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 and someone just recently died. And I don't know how he contacted or, or whatever. But, um, you know, just pray. Just, just pray. Keep it in, in prayer. And we'll talk some more about that uh, in a moment. But the gospel of peace. So how important is this? Well, we live in a world that's full of strife. Now, Look at verse 15, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, this is interesting, because I think Paul was thinking about, as he's shackled to one of these Roman soldiers, he's probably thinking about the sandals that were worn by the Roman soldier, which was also a part of their armor. 
In what way? Well, you see, those sandals were studded with nails, which gave them firm footing as they climbed hills. Mountains went over rugged terrain. You know, this would have been like the equivalent of uh, uh, cleats or spikes that athletes wear uh, to perform at the highest level. Like football players, they, they have spikes or cleats, or baseball players, baseball players have cleats, football players have spikes. And, uh, you know, so that they would have firm foot, footing as they move from one place to another. And, and that's the picture that's being painted here. As Christians, we move from one place to another. As Christ's ambassadors, right? God has given us a work to do. And we are to go forward in that work. We need this firm footing. But here's the problem. There's all of this strife in, this, in the world. There's all of these complications. Sometimes it keeps us in a, in a neutral position where we're not going forward and we're just sort of stuck in neutral. You know, here's a great translation of verse 15, and I wanted to share it with you. Have your, uh, your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Isn't that a great translation? Let me, let me share it with you again. Have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So we're moving forward. We're moving forward here. Because of this, our feet are shod with the gospel of uh, peace. We're on the offensive. We're in enemy territory. And our shoes are taking us from one place to another. We're ready to do whatever God wants us to do. We're ready to speak. Uh, we're ready to serve. We're ready to worship. We're ready to testify. No matter what we come up against in our life's experience, right? We have God's complete, perfect peace. And why is that? Why aren't we moved by all of the strife that's in our world today? Why? Because we know how the battle turns out. You see, we know that the enemy is no match for our general, who is Jesus Christ. And therefore, we are resting in the promises of God. Why are Christians so crazy about everything that's going on in the world today? And I understand, you know, our first response, and I'm, I'm as guilty of that sort of thing as any, anyone else. I get extremely concerned myself, you know. But, uh, hey, you know what? I've read the last chapter in the Bible, which, by the way, happens to be in the book of Revelation. Okay. And, uh, and we know how this whole thing turns out, don't we, right? And uh, so we have that assurance. We can trust and stand on the promises of God, the gospel of peace. Let's go on to the next article here in this catalog. And that would be, and is recorded first in verse 16, the shield of faith. Notice in verse 16, it says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, which uh, you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So the, the shield of faith is sort of uh, our confidence in God. And basically, I think that's what Paul was thinking about here. That is knowing that God is able to keep me, that God is able to take care of me from the barrages of these fiery darts that the devil, you know, hails at me. And how important this is, because I am engaged in the spiritual warfare and as I am pressured by the enemy, you know, sometimes I feel my own weakness 
and I feel as if I'm slipping. But how important it is to know that God is able to keep me from falling. And he will give me the strength, the help, when otherwise I know I wouldn't make it. So just having simply that faith and confidence in God. That's my shield of faith. Hey, listen, God said, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, my strength, his strength, is made perfect in your weakness. So praise the Lord for that. It's his strength, right? Whereby in our weakness, we are made strong. Now, there are some people, let me draw your attention to this. There are some people today who are teaching faith and confidence in themselves. It's, it's referred to as the self-confidence, self-reliance, self-assertiveness, self-image, self-love gospel. Have you heard it? it? It comes in many different forms. How far these things are from the words of Jesus when Jesus said in John's gospel in chapter 15 and verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Hey, we need to realize that. Apart from Jesus Christ, guess what? We can do nothing. We are weak, the truth be told. So we need to know our limitations. Apart from Jesus, we are weak. We are no match for the enemy. And so listen, if you go into that battle, and that's what Christianity is, with that self-reliant kind of an attitude, and you come up against the enemy, you're going to get whooped on. He's going to beat you senseless. You can be sure of it, right? So that's another application of the shield of faith. But there's something else that I want to draw your attention to, and I believe that the shield of faith also speaks to us about the importance of fellowship. The shield of faith, I also believe, uh, speaks to us about the importance of fellowship. That is locking together our shields of faith, forming a wedge to penetrate the line of battle. You know, warfare back then was a lot different from warfare today. You know, today we send up drones with missiles, and, you know, you know they, they can hit these targets from miles away. It's like crazy, right? Back then, it was all hand-to-hand combat. And so when these Roman soldiers went up against the enemies, they would be formed in these lines, and they would lock together their shields of faith, And by the way, the shield of faith was just a little bit of trivia. It was a a large, oblong shield. It was four and a half feet long by two and a uh, feet wide. It covered a soldier's body completely, and it was used when advancing in battle. And so they would lock together. There would, you know, there'd be lines of these guys that all lock their arms with their shield of faith, with with their shield, not their shield of faith, with their shield, and then they would go forth in this hand-to-hand combat. Uh, to penetrate the lines of of the enemy that they were fighting against. And so the shield of faith. So how important is fellowship? You know, how many times have you been encouraged by your brother or sister, their words? You know, uh, how many times have you been sharing something that you're going through and and a person will come that you're speaking to and says, you're not going to believe this. I just went through this last week. And this is what God did for me. These are the steps that I took and God worked wonderfully for me you know, maybe these are the same steps you should take. How many times have we been ministered to by our brothers and our sisters, right? So the importance of fellowshipping one with another. And I guess that's why in the book of Hebrews, we're exhorted not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together, 
as such was the uh, practice, and uh, the common practice of some. And Paul, who I believe is the writer of the book of Hebrews, uh, actually uh, rebukes them for that. Okay, well that brings us to our next piece of armor, verse 17. That is the helmet of salvation. It says, and take the helmet of salvation. Okay, this implies a couple of things. First of all, as it relates to the word salvation, I want you to think about it, your own personal salvation. God has saved us from a wasted life. So think of it in that, in that way. The life after the flesh. He saved me from my past. And oh my gosh, what a past I had. I'm glad God saved me from my past. But more importantly, he saved me from judgment. You know, it's sad to see a person at the end of his or her life who has been all the while living after the flesh, and now they realize that they wasted their life. That horrible realization that has come over them, there's no time to recover those lost years. Hey, listen, if you would fall into that category, if there's a sense of that in your own life presently, it's not too late for you. As far as I I know, you're not on any of you are on your deathbed. So here's a promise for you. In the book of Joel, in chapter 2, in verse 25, if you feel as if you've squandered your life on things that aren't really that important, that you haven't really given yourself over to exercises and occupations of the spiritual sort, that which you believe God has called you to, well, here's a great promise. It's recorded for us in the book of Joel, in chapter 2, in verse 25. And I will restore to you the years that the locust and the canker worm has eaten. The point is, is that it's never too late to start. God will allow you to recover those years. There's no reason why at the end of our lives, when we're on our deathbed, we have any regrets. You know? And we're not saved by works. But I wonder, when we stand before Jesus in heaven, which, by the way, is depicted for us in the book of Revelation in chapters 4 and 5, <laughs> and we look into the face of Jesus who, interestingly enough, you know, uh, they see him as a lamb who has been slain. What's that all about? I believe that when we get to heaven, Jesus will actually have the marks of his crucifixion in his body. And uh, just to remind us of the tremendous price that he had to pay to get us to that final destination. So when we look into the marred face of Jesus, see the pierced side, and the holes in his hands and his feet, I hope none of us have any regrets. And we think to ourselves, we flesh, we're going to still be there because we're not saved by works, but by faith in Christ, right? But I wonder if there's going to be any regrets. And we're going to flash back and say, you know what? I squandered my life. I had so many opportunities to serve the Lord, to make an investment in God's kingdom and the establishing and the furthering of God's kingdom, and I never took it. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. Thanks for joining us. Did you know that you can listen to Pastor Mike's teachings on your favorite podcast app? Just search for In My Father's House. Be sure to subscribe and let us know you're a listener in the comments. 
If you don't have a church that you call home, we'd love for you to join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You can find all the information you need at harvestnyc.org. While you're there, you can reserve your seat by clicking on Contact and then the Register link. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, or if you're unable to attend in person, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time studying God's Word. We're live-streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to hear today's message again or to catch previous Sunday messages, click on the Resources tab. You can also watch services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. One more time, that's harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. Thanks again for joining us. We look forward to our continuing study of Ephesians next time, right here on In My Father's House. Where I long to be, oh my heart, not be troubled. I remember what you said.